Okay, let me come up here so that uh, I can look at the slide also. Okay, today we round up what is called the whole life inventory that we, uh, some 249 of us participated in in February of this year. And this whole life inventory sort of measures or trying to show us in these five areas how we are as, uh, as a church in, uh, in our faith, in identity, in uh, relationships, sexuality, and values. Actually, there's a sixth uh, category, and that is the, the demographics uh, of, of this church. So I've entitled this sermon, Whole Life Like That, which is a very singlish thing. It's a whole life like that. If our whole life is like what it has shown, if it is really like that, then is it okay? Are we okay? Uh, is it acceptable? Is it good? Is it bad? So let me just jump into the last bits of this survey. And um, one of the questions is, are you being discipled in church now? Okay, we just look at the percentages uh, in compared to, I've labeled global, which means other churches in Singapore. Let's not make a judgment now. Let's just look at the data. In, are you being discipled in church now? 49% of PPH says we are, compared to 47% of other churches. 23% uh, of us says, no, I'm not being discipled in church, but I would like to, compared to 38% from other churches. And then the last category, no, I'm not being discipled in church now, and I would not like to be discipled. That's 28% in PPH, compared to 15% of other churches. We also look at individual needs, and I pick up the top two or three out of a, a long list of uh, needs. So one is, I need church help in relationship and communication skills. So 31% of PPH compared to 47. How I need help to relate to or care for my parents. 30% of PPH compared to 33. Uh, I need help in balancing my family and work commitments. 29 compared to 43. And the last category always is, I don't need support in any of these areas. That's 30% of PPH, but 19% from other churches. Marriage needs. I need marriage mentoring by a more mature couple. 17% of PPH compared to 32. I need help in conflict resolution or couple mediation. 16% of PPH compared to 27. And the last category, I don't need support in any area of marriage. 50% of PPH compared to 36. And then parenting needs. Again, the top two. I need help in discipline and boundaries. 29% of PPH compared to 36. I need help uh, for, with my child to handle stress and emotions. 23 PPH and 36 global. And again, the last one. I don't need church support in any area of parenting. 43% compared to 25. And the last one is habitual issues. I have, and I need help in internet or gaming addiction. 12% of PPH compared to 9% of global. So more need help in PPH. I need help in overspending. 7%, which is very good because uh, PPH is a rich church, right? Compared to 14% of global. And then the last one, I'm not facing any issue of habit, or bad habits rather. 74% of PPH compared to 68 Okay, so how do we interpret this data? 
Well, you know, every category, individual needs, marriage needs, parenting needs, habitual issues, we have less needs than other participants from other churches. Let's, let's go through this one more time, okay? Are you being discipled in church now? If we are well discipled in church, then there should be some indicators like uh, spiritual disciplines, for, for, for example, um, Bible reading, prayer, uh, participation in service. Indeed, we score better in all these three categories that I mentioned, praying, Bible reading, service. But I think a more accurate assessment would be with reference to our purpose statement, which comprises, or is, which is made up of uh, two Bible verses. One is the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your neighbor as yourself. So how are we as disciples loving God with all our heart, our soul, and our mind? And how are we as disciples loving our neighbor as ourselves? Quite difficult to measure, but it's a good thing to bear in mind. The second verse is the Great Commission. We all know Matthew chapter 28. And that is to be a disciple and to make disciples. So a disciple will display the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But measuring that is very hard, right? Measuring that is very hard. But still, it's important for us to know. But there's another measure of fruitfulness that uh, is easy, like how many new believers we've brought to church, or at least how many people we have spoken to about our faith. And that one we know, that we are much lower than other churches, we are not doing so well there in terms of uh, sharing our faith. But if you look at this chart here, in spite of this, 28% of us, compared to 15% from other churches, are not being discipled and they still would not like to be. You know, in our last round of mentoring, the Pastor Chi Ming was trying to pair up mentors and mentees. We have leftover mentors. Leftover mentors. As in, Mentors are available, but there are not enough mentees to, uh, uh, to want to have these mentors. Um, so let's go through this again. See what it tells us. Individual needs. Every category, we are lower than other people. We declare that we have less needs than other people. So can I say that PPH is a less needy church? And 30% of us don't need help in anything. Almost a third compared to about 20% from other churches. Marriage needs. 50% of people says we don't need help. We don't need support in our marriages, compared to 36% from other churches. And this is very significantly different. And yet, if you remember the data from the last two weeks, one in three, 33% of PPH men, and four in 10, 40% of PPH women are not happy in their marriages. In fact, the data shows in marital distress even. Ah, uh -uh, but remember, 33% of men, 40% of PPH women is actually better than the global average. So our, even though it doesn't look so great, but we are better than other churches. And yet, 50% of us says, no need help. There is some disconnect there. Some disconnect there. Parenting needs. Well, it is true also in the data that I presented, I believe, in the first week, uh, two weeks ago, shows that our parent and child relationship are, are better 
than uh, other churches. Um, but I'm not sure that we are 43 versus 25 better. Like, I don't need ch church support in any area of parenting. 43% of, of us says no need help versus 25% from, from other churches. I looked at the details. There are 13 areas, one, three areas that are mentioned in this survey on parenting needs from first-time parent to preschool parenting to primary school parenting, national service, sex education for my children, stress uh, that my children have and all that, etc. In every area, we have less needs, except one. And this one is, uh, uh, we have a higher need for this than other churches, and it says child learning and developmental disabilities. Okay, maybe we have some special needs uh, issues in this church. But every other area, we think that we are okay. Okay, the last one, habitual unit uh, issues. And you can see here that we have less needs than everybody else. So I look at the details. I look at um, not just global data like that. I look at life stages. That means uh, by age groups, whether you're a youth, a young adult, senior adults to, to seniors. In every single life stage, we say, I'm not facing any issue of habit. So the global, 74%. Three quarters of us say, no habit, no bad habits, no problem. But you remember last week, what did we say? 12% of PPH men view pornography once a month. 18% of PPH men view pornography at least once per week. So, and how did I define it? 12% are habitual issues. 18% are addicts. But yet, 74% of us says, no problem. No habitual issues. Another disconnect. Okay. I think we can look at this overall thing and we can say that we can interpret this data very, very positively. That is, PPH is very, very different from 7,200 other Christians from other churches who've done this because we don't need to be discipled, because we have less needs, because we don't need support individually, parenting, marriage, or habitual issues. No need. Maybe we can then retrench some of our pastoral staff because we are doing so well. Or at least our pastoral staff has done so well that our people here don't have any needs. Um, but that's, on the other hand, a very scary interpretation. And that is, what's the point of telling you my needs? Because the church cannot help in any way. So I might as well tell you I have no needs. And that to me is a very scary interpretation. But it is this one chart that bothers me the most. Are you being discipled in church now? And 28% of us says no, and I would not like to be, thank you very much. You know, I have looked at this chart, left side, right side, I stand on my head and I look at it upside down, every angle. And I'm thinking, maybe I can take a few percentage points off, you know, 5-10% removed from the 28% because maybe people have misunderstood the question. Maybe because it is not clear in the questionnaire what being discipled means. But even if I take away significant percentage points for it, we are still significantly higher than the 15% from other churches, from what I would call 
the, the touch-me-nots. Okay? Don't touch me. I'm okay. I'm not being discipled. I don't want to be discipled, but I'm okay. And these are the ones, like, like in my sermon two Sundays ago, I said, how do you do? What's your answer? Fine, thank you. I don't need no discipling. Then I looked somehow into the data, and I broke it up into life stages. Right? So, among youth, this category of no, I'm not being discipled, I would not like to be, hey, 0%, that's good. I think some 70% of our youth are being discipled, the other 30% are not, but they want to be. Okay? So that's great. Uh, better than global, actually. Then the single young adults, uh, 8 9%, not very different. And then you look down the list from dating, from single adults, uh, older adults, married parents, seniors, and especially seniors. 53% of us touch me nots compared to 36% from other churches. So every category, bar two, we like, touch me not, leh. don't touch me, I'm okay. Then I thought, ah, maybe Chinese congregation, right? They don't understand the English question so well, right? That's why our figures, not so nice. So I stripped out the Chinese data, and it got worse. <laughs> it got worse. So we know what we are talking about. When this question came to us, I think we know what we are talking about. And I'm glad in some way that we answered honestly. But it's very disturbing to me that if you strip out the Chinese data, 31% of us are not being discipled and don't want to be. Well, you look at discipleship, well, of course, one of the things we say is spiritual disciplines, right? It's what the disciple does. So yeah, 45% of us read the Bible daily. Yeah, compared to other churches, 33%. Uh, 59% of PPH pray daily compared to 46% of other churches. We ought to be doing well. So I want to drill down some more. Unfortunately, out of this whole life inventory, it doesn't give me the means to. But I remember that there was a survey done a long time ago, international survey, 1998, long time ago. 6,000 people were surveyed. And it says that 64% of people pray daily and 34% of people uh, are Christians read the Bible daily. But then they dug down they dug down into what is the meaning of pray daily. And they found that on average, over 6,000 people, the peop each person would pray four minutes per day on average. Four minutes. Then you dig down some more and you take away all those crazy people who pray one hour a day. Okay? I hope some of you do. And then what is that number? It's way, way, way below four minutes. So, I think it is like what Elder Edwin Chua say, ka ka mai mai. Okay, he's Teochew, but he speaks some Cantonese. That you add up all the little bits. Huh? So after that, af afterwards, when we go for lunch, you say, thank God for this food. Wow, 10 seconds. <laughs> right, then the bus came. Thank God, the bus came. <laughs> Two seconds. You add all this up, and you get four minutes a day. And that's what we mean by prayer. The other important element of discipleship is the church body, the community life we live in the church. And I mean the care group where iron sharpens iron, where we care for one another, we comfort one another, and we receive support from one another, we challenge one another, we do this Christian life together. 
So of the 249 in PPH who took the survey, it showed that 79% of us meet in a cell group more than twice a month, compared to 83% from other churches, so we are low. And I looked at 79%, I think doesn't look quite right. So we did a name-by-name -name count of people we know who are in cell groups, and we divide that by the people we measure coming to church, and that real percentage is 66%, not 79%. So two-thirds of us are in a cell group, one-third of us are not. And can I say that this 34% don't really want to engage life on life, at least in a cell group? I know that some people simply cannot attend a cell group. Okay, I understand that, but that shouldn't be that high a percentage number. So my question is, why like that? Why like that? May I suggest that PPH might have an issue with lordship. Lordship. What does lordship mean? Lordship means that Jesus is not just my loving saviour, but he is my lord and master. Lordship means that I will submit and I will obey him no matter what. Lordship means I will take up my cross and follow him no matter what. Lordship means I will pursue holiness and righteousness no matter what. Why do I say that we have a problem with lordship? You know, the teaching from the Bible and from this pulpit, I hope, on fornication or sex before marriage is quite clear. But when it comes to this survey question, it is acceptable to have sex before marriage so long as it is a committed relationship, 7% of us are not sure. We neither agree nor disagree. And 6% of us disagree. Oh, oh, sorry, strongly agree that it is okay to have sex outside of, outside of marriage. The Bible teaches us to flee from sexual immorality and not even to have a hint of it. But 18% of us are not sure, neither agreeing nor disagreeing, that we will go overseas with a boyfriend or a girlfriend alone as a couple, even if we could face sexual temptation. 18% of us, yes or no, neither. But 26% of us says, yes, I will go. I will go. Even if there is sexual temptation. And... 4% of us says, I will definitely go. So that's 30% of us who not just flee sexual temptation, but we fly in the face of biblical warnings. 30%. Fulfilling sexual desires, even if it goes against God's will, 12% of us are not sure. 5% of us, yeah, go ahead. Doesn't matter what God says. Money over calling. I will pursue a profitable career even if it is not my calling. 29% of us, not sure. 10% of us, yeah, money first. Doesn't matter what God's calling is. Okay, this one is a good one. During my children's examination, I'm okay if they skip church. Okay, 14% not sure, 9% will skip church. You know, some of us may think, ah, this is just a minor gray area. And I like to defer. I believe that taking that four hours, assuming, assuming it takes you one hour by bus to reach PPH, 
spend two hours here in worship, take you another one hour to go home by bus, four hours, that to worship the Lord on a Sunday is simply obedience. And it is obedience that will be richly rewarded with maybe a calm mental mind so that you can study better and do your exams better tomorrow, spiritual rest, and the blessing of setting an example for your children and your children's children following that. So, we go back to the basics. Could it be that this is ultimately an issue of defective theology and a failure from the pulpit and a failure of pastoral staff? You know, have you ever heard people say, I'm a Christian now for many years and Christ has been my saviour, but he's never really been the Lord of my life? I have accepted Christ. I have made a decision for Christ. I have said the sinner's prayer. I've never really considered obeying. I've never really considered picking up the cross and following Christ as a disciple. In other words, it's an effortless Christianity. Just accept, Lord. Accept and say yes. Say amen. The kind that has Christ without the cross, that has salvation but no sanctification, that has decisions only but no follow-on discipleship. So, wither PPH, wither you and I. You know, wither is an old, old English word that simply means like, where do we go from here? But it's still very, very commonly used nowadays. It's like, wither America after Trump or wither Britain after Brexit, right? Wither. Where do we go? Now that we have an assessment of our church and, and in some sense of ourselves, how do we make sense of this? Wither you and I. And I was disturbed enough to send out an email to all my elders and to the church pastors. And let me quote to you exactly what I said. I said, help! Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Three times. I said, this trend is amazing. PPH people want less help from church in every single category compared to other churches. And for that group that wants no help, we are consistently higher than other churches. The touch-me-nots. Any insights that can help my sermon this Sunday? Help! Well, someone responded, and Spurgeon said, actually what came to mind was the church of Laodicea. You know, in Revelation, uh, Jesus made an assessment of seven kinds of churches. And in Laodicea, Revelation 3, 17, Jesus says, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And then this person says, is it too harsh or not? Too harsh for PPH? Well, you answer it. Is it too harsh? And so I decided to search all my old sermons, collected for 17 years, Laodicea. So I typed Laodicea in search. And before my search came out with the answers, at that same moment, another email came from someone else responding to my plea for help. And this person says that below is a list from discussions and prayers compiled way back in 2008. Maybe it will give you some insight. Uh, uh, this is the, to show you that it's a real email. And I'm not faking fake news. And the key areas says wounds in our hearts, cynicism of our minds, surrender of our wills, 
crowdedness of our lives and immediately I thought of Edwin Chua. I said, this could only come from him. So I asked him, did you have any material on this? It's 2008. He said, no, it never came from me. I searched all my stuff. It didn't come from me. And, and then the results from Laodicea came on my computer. And I found out there was one sermon I preached in January of 2009, which had all these words, wounds in our heart, cynicism of our minds, surrender of our wills, crowdedness of our lives. And I say, wow, is this a coincidence? Or is it a God incident? Actually, the 2009 sermon had nothing to do with Laodicea. I only quoted one verse in that sermon, and that was like, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Remember the famous verse, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says to the church there, behold, to Christians, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and eat with him. That means I fellowship, be close to him, and he with me. So I thought maybe I just repeat my 2009 sermon, oh, easy, right? But let me assure you, I never do that. Because if I do that, you may retrench me. <laughs> so with the PPH, with the you and I, the local phrase, this old English, uh, local phrase Singapore is better. So how? <laughs> so how? So I see a picture not of wither, but of a withered, a withered hand. And I thought of the event in Jesus' life in Mark chapter 3. And Jesus entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on a Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy Jesus? And I think of a withered heart. Withered means dried up. Dried up. What does this man with a withered hand see in this church or synagogue in his days? He would have seen a bunch of unholy leaders who would rather be talking about no healing policy on the Sabbath. No healing policy. Than to talk about God's love and God's grace. And who would want to set a trap for Jesus to see us here if he would heal on the Sabbath. And I wondered if the people in those days, in the church or the synagogue of those days, would be looking at this man and murmuring, this man, uh, did he sin so that he had this withered hand? Or did his parents sin so that he would have this withered hand? Or they just simply ignored him? So I thought this man with a withered hand had more than a withered hand. He probably had a withered heart also. And can I say that we too, have a withered heart, some of us, because of wounds in the heart. King David had a wounded heart. In Psalm 109, verse 22, King David says, I am poor and needy. Needy, I have needs. And my heart is wounded within me. You know, when you have a boss like Saul, King Saul, who abuses you, who tries to spear you and stab you front and back, when you have a subordinate like Chief of Defense Force, 
Joab who sabotages you, when you have a son like Absalom who's after your money and possessions and even your wife, when you have a wife like Michal who despises you, David's heart was withered. His soul was wounded. And it seems like David's life got tougher after the blessing. After the prophet Samuel anointed him as the next king of Israel, I think his life just went downhill from there. It got worse and worse. So I believe he had a wounded soul, a withered heart. In Proverbs chapter 26, verse 22, it says the words of a talebearer are as wounds and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Perhaps you have been wounded also by talebearers or by gossipers within PPH. And maybe that's why many of us would not consider PPH a safe place to share about our sexual issues. Or even in a survey, we would not consider a PPH a safe place to declare our needs. Or there is a wound in our relationships. There are wounds in our marriage, in our relationships with parents or children, or even fellow believers that, that is just making our lives somewhat of a living hell. And that it would go into the innermost parts of our belly, like uh, stomach ulcers. That same word, withered, in Greek is also found in this parable. One chapter later, Mark chapter 4, verse 3, and Jesus was telling this parable. He says, listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, since it had no root, and it withered away. It withered away. This parable refers to the condition of the soil of our heart. You know, we may read the Bible daily as 49, 45% of us do. We may pray daily four minutes as 59% of us do, but God's Word does not take root in our lives, in our hearts, because we are distracted by many things. Our lives are are crowded with worries and, and especially when we start comparing, you know, it's like, why is it so easy for so-and-so? Uh, he gets all the A's in, and I, he doesn't even study half as much as I do and so-and-so's got a new car. I even got problem paying the installments of my existing old car. I have a... Uh, and so-and-so is always uh, posting on Facebook the fantastic cafes that he goes to, the overseas holidays, the, the Michelin-star restaurants that he goes to. And, and I am afraid of being put on permanent holiday by retrenchment. And these are the worries that form this hard shell over our lives. It, it can either drive us towards God or it can drive us away from God. It will crowd out God from our lives. So wither our lives because it has withered our lives. So then, don't talk to me about discipleship, uh, maturity in the faith and all that, because I can barely survive the day. And then Jesus comes along and he says, stretch out your hand. Jesus comes along and says, I stand at the door and knock. I want to come in. Jesus comes and says, I want to save you from your withered heart. And very often, he uses you and I, the body of Christ, the church, to do this very thing. 
Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I know a group is going to Israel next month. I think some 14 PPH people led by um, Andrew. And I remember years ago, a group came back from Israel and told me, wow, you know, the soil in Israel is so great. Now you just throw something, it grows, man. It is so fruitful. The soil is so fruitful. And so I begin to wonder, how can two persons who come for a PPH service worship using the same songs, listen to the same sermon? How can one person be always complaining about the songs no good? La? I don't know how to sing this song. La. The worship leader too flashy. La. Uh, the, the music is all wrong. La. And then the pastor so boring. La. And then the next person, same sermon, same worship service, will be saying, wow, fantastic. Wow, busy taking notes. And wow, this is really good. How come? Condition of the soil of our hearts. Perhaps more than a withered heart, we have let cynicism of the mind sneak in. What is a cynic mind? Cynicism is when two positives can make one negative. How? When Jesus says, I want to come and help you, you say, yeah, right. <laughs> two positives, but it's negative. A cynical mind is when there is a deep-seated unbelief about the truth of God's Word, about what God can do in our lives and in the lives of our loved ones, about answers to prayer. Someone call it the edgy spirituality of the jaded. It's a jaded spirit. A cynical mind is distant, it is unengaged, it is critical, it is apathetic. The elder brother in the story of the prodigal son had a cynical mind. Is that really? Can grace transform this useless brother of mine? The prophet Jonah had a cynical mind. Really? Can the Assyrians repent and be beneficiary of God's grace? Enemies of Israel, really? When you listen to or read verses like this, the famous Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says God, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope, and a future, and you say, yeah, right. When you read Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and it says, when we, we know in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose, and you say, yeah, right, really. Then you have a cynical mind. But you know that you and I, all of us, we have doubts, we have disappointments, even disappointments with God. But what do these disappointments drive us to? We must not allow it to degenerate into a cynicism of the mind. You know, there's someone in the Bible who was somewhat cynical, had a cynical mind, but he dealt with it, with it so beautifully. And this is the response that all of us can make. Again, in the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 9, tells the story of a father who brought his son to Jesus, and this son was possessed by an evil spirit which causes dumbness, he foams at the mouth, becomes rigid, then he convulses, he throws himself into the fire, throws himself into the water to try and kill himself. And then Jesus says, everything is possible for him who believes. When the father brought to Jesus and Jesus says this, what did the father say? Who are you trying to kill Jesus? I've been looking after this boy, this 25-year-old boy for years and nothing has helped him. I've tried everything. No, the father didn't say this. The father said in Mark, Chapter 9, verse 24. 
Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And I tell you, God is so happy with such a cry. It's almost cynical, but not quite. He said, help me. The warning in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, See to it, brothers, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Discouraged, disappointed, don't turn away. Turn to God. And even tell Him about your cynicism. So a withered heart, a cynical mind. Let's talk about a willful spirit. Perhaps we have 5 to 6% in PPH and in other churches because in that category at the end, we always have that 5 to 6% who will say, sex is for marriage only, and we say, I don't think so. No. When God says, let no vile things enter your eyes, we say, harms no one. What's wrong with pornography? When God says, honour the Sabbath, we are safe, we are too busy for that. This is some old-fashioned stuff. When God says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfil the law of Christ, we say, touch me not. I'm not interested. In other words, a metal teeth spirit. Tiki. Now you get it, right? Yeah, it's just a... Ah. You know, I'll never forget this one person in PPH from many, many years ago who was quite critical. Always tell me that, you see, uh, PPH, uh, your PPH, uh, when you worship, uh, nobody raised their hands on me. So I, like, I'm the only one who raised my hands you know, in worship. And then he left us and went to another church. Then one day I saw him and he said, wow, this church I go to, uh, everybody raised their hands, like so fake like that, you know. All this fake emotionalism. So in that church, I don't raise my hands on it. It's like metal teeth, right? You're just willful. You know, I can understand a, a non-believer who will deliberate, deliberately go against God's will, but when a professing Christian does that, I think that's the height of hypocrisy. Because we just want the passport to heaven, that's all. We want the passport to heaven. And so there is a very severe warning for the willful spirit. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. In fact, there is no cross, there is no Christ for you anymore. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. But what do we do with a withered heart, a cynical mind, and a willful spirit? We want to comfort the withered heart. We want to challenge the cynical mind. No, don't turn away from Christ. Turn to Christ. And we need to confront that willful spirit. Let's come back to the man with the withered hand. Jesus said, stretch out your hand. What would you do? No, he says, touch me not. Touch me not. Okay. What hand? What hand? Or would you stretch out, yeah, your good hand or hiding your withered hand? He said, this hand, good one, give you, don't show you my bad hand. And would Jesus respond like he did with the Pharisees in Mark chapter 3, verse 5? He looked around them with anger, also with grief at their hardness of heart. 
In other translations, he was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. So what's it to be? Jesus touched me not. You know, after all the data that has been presented, do we still claim to have good hands that can make it on our own? Thank you very much. We are okay. Touch me not. I just try a little bit harder and I'll be okay. It's like what a father, a father asks his son, you know, son, are you trying hard enough? And the son says, yeah, daddy, I tried very hard. In fact, I've done all that I can. And the daddy says, no, son, you have not done all that you can. You have not asked me for help. I think some of us are there. Jesus say, stretch out your hand. So can we confess that we have a withered hand, a withered heart, a cynical mind, a willful spirit? Some 66% of us are in cell groups. It's very good, but there are 34% who are not. And, and it reduces our ability, it reduces the avenue for us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It reduces the avenues we can have for comforting one another, serving one another, challenging one another, and holding one another, walking this journey of faith. 34% reduces us so much. You know, can we at least, uh, at least hit the 83% from other churches? At least hit that. Next year, we'll be running another evangelism explosion course. About two weeks ago, I was at the celebration tea time with a whole bunch who have done that course and I listened to the testimonies and, and, and how encouraged they were, even though everybody was scared in the beginning. It's like, wow, OJT. Uh, in this day and age, I've got to do, do OJT and, and talk to people about Christ and all that. And it broke so many mindsets. You know, some people can know how to start a conversation, some don't. But some people also do not know how to end the conversation of, of faith. It's like we can talk, 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 but we never really ask, so does it make sense to you? Or we never ask, so would you like to receive Christ today? We never do that. And, and it broke so many mindsets for those who participated. So next year, we're going to be running that course again. Can you resolve to join that? Like, I want to be disciple. I want to be disciple as a disciple. And chong, it's tough. Other people have done it. I can do it. So join that. On the 2nd of December this year, in a few weeks' time, we're going to be going capping, knocking on doors to invite Teban residents to our Christmas service on the 24th of December. If some of you have hong-tang for many sessions now, have not joined our, our capping sessions, would you resolve to come along? Let me play my small role, okay? Maybe that two or three hours in Teban Gardens. Let me play my small role as a disciple. Not so many seniors here, but I did talk about to the seniors uh, in the first service. It's like, as seniors, uh, okay, depending how you define it, uh, if it is above 50, I'm in. Uh, okay? If it is above 60, I still got 12 months. Uh, okay? You know how seniors think? I know how seniors think. It's like, been there, done that. Been there, done that. It's now for you younger people. Okay, now it's time for me to take my life easier. Even my spiritual life. And so as I enter the last phase of my life, huh, 
of being in my 50s now. I struggled with this too. So one day, I decided to take a few hours off for a spiritual retreat. Um, and, and really, honestly, feeling a, a sense of self-pity, you know? Because I see on Facebook, uh, my friends who are retired, traveling around the world and going to Michelin uh, star restaurants and all that. So I went to this place. It's, in, uh, it's Bethel Presbyterian Church. It's the most amazing church. Okay? The church compound is 100,000 square feet. Uh, built many years ago by some Teochew merchants and, and they had a, straight ahead is a, a primary school. They used to run no longer a primary school. So they have no, no, no lack of rooms for Sunday school and adult Bible classes and all that. The church is on the right. And where I took this picture is a 6,000 square feet bungalow. Part of the church that the senior pastor used to stay. Sila, you <laughs> Next door is a bungalow. 6,000 square feet, the senior pastor used to say, but now it's a retreat center. And I believe I was in the master bedroom because it got an attached toilet, it's aircon, it's got a bed. Uh, it's a retreat center now. So I sat there and I looked at this and I continued with my quiet time. And on that day, I opened up the Bible, just continuing what I normally read, which is uh, one or two chapters of uh, Old Testament and one or two chapters of New Testament. And this verse came out and I nearly died laughing. <laughs> I nearly died laughing. He says, you are old and advanced in years. I said, God, you've got such a great sense of, of humor. And then it says, there remains yet very much land to possess. And I thought, so true. So why am I thinking about retiring and going on holidays when there is so much work to do, so much good, meaningful work, so much of real estate. I, as I look at 100,000 square feet, I look at the the real estate of my heart, so much of it is not yet surrendered to Christ, not yet disciple. And I say, yeah, I need to go on, man. There's so much more, so much more in my life, so much more in the life of PPH. We think we are doing so well. Not true. Not true. We've got so much more to go. So let's press on. Press on. And among the seniors, you know, I think one of the reasons why we answer such high percentage, but but still, it doesn't account for the fact that other churches are low. Maybe we're thinking that seniors, um, that I'm not looking for a 99-year-old guy to disciple me as a 59-year-old guy, right? right. But what, what does discipleship mean for me? It's actually, it's a cell group. It's peer mentoring. It's peer mentoring. Among my elders that I meet on Saturdays, among my cell group members, all around the same age. We are discipling one another. It's not this 99-year-old guy. But what about the younger ones here? Get a mentor. We got leftover mentors. Got leftover, right? Take up the cross. Take up the cross. Be prepared to be ridiculed. I think even if we join the EE course, uh, among our friends, we say, whoa, you know, whoa, this kind of so, so prescribed kind of thing, you must obey to the letter, OJT and all that. You will be ridiculed. If you declare your faith in your school, in your workplaces, you will be ridiculed. But what does it mean to be a disciple? It means to stand up there for Christ. We take up the cross. We follow Him. Don't, don't be conformed to how the world squeezes you into its pattern, right? This Romans 12, 1 and 2. You really need to know that verse. The world is squeezing us into a pattern. We choose our own pattern, right? The pattern of Christ. That's how we ought to be. 
So this three weeks, as we look at the data, in some ways it's encouraging, in other ways it disturbs me a lot. But let's press on in the faith. Let's press on. And Jesus says, stretch out your hand. Which hand are we going to give to Jesus? The nice, nice one? Or this one that we are trying to hide from Him? So let's pray. Brothers and sisters, let's examine our own hearts. Do we have a withered heart? It's kind of dry, spiritually dry. Jesus says, stretch out your hand, stretch out your heart. I'm here for you. Why are you turning away from me rather than turning towards me? Do we have a cynical mind? It's really been hardened so much that we are the, yeah, right, really. That kind of response, we know it if we do. Turn back again. Seek help. Have brothers and sisters, walk with us. You're not the only one with a cynical mind. You're not the only one who has ever been disappointed with God or discouraged. Let's walk this together. While you are weak, someone else may be strong. He can pull you along. And when you're strong again, you can offer help to someone who is going through the same cynical mind, that same withered heart that you have had some while ago. But the last one is serious, a willful spirit. If you are, and maybe in every church there is that 5 or 6% who call ourselves Christians but willfully go against God's commandments, God's instructions, we need to repent. No other way around that. No other way. We need to repent. So reach out to Jesus. I'd like to offer up this time for prayer silently here and also at the altar where we can pray for one another because the pastors and deacons here we can be praying for you but let's come alongside one another if you see your brother at the altar just come alongside and pray a prayer a blessing over them that that physical touch of encouragement with someone just a pat on the shoulder a prayer for him let's be doing that as a family as as we bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ and if you should ever do this survey again I like to see very very different numbers let me open up the altar now Jesus we are reaching out to you there is this song that I wanted to sing but but it's so old so senior that uh, people here do not know so let me just read it out to you as you consider your own response in your own seat and if you wish to then come forward and we'll be praying together he says is your burden heavy as you bear it all alone does the road you travel harbor danger yet unknown are you growing weary in the struggle of it all Jesus will help you when on his name you call he is always there hearing every prayer faithful and true walking by our side in his love abide all the day through when you get discouraged just remember what to do reach out to Jesus 
He's reaching out to you. Is the life you're living filled with sorrow and despair? Does the future press you with its worry and its care? Are you tired and friendless? Have you almost lost your way? Jesus will help you. Just come to Him today. Come to Him today. Father God, we open up the door of our hearts to you. Would you examine it? Would you examine the condition of the soil in our heart? Are we withered, hardened, choked? We ask you for help, Lord Jesus. We come to you today. We reach out to you today. We want to be true disciples. We want to pick up the cross and follow you. We want to be disciples and we want to be disciples. We want to have a meaningful life of lifting up one who is down. And we are also prepared to be lifted up when we are down. We want to be inspired by the communion that we have taken, that you have done your all for us, your broken body, shed blood. And this is the example that we will take with us in life. We want to be obedient. We do not want to be willful. And so, we reach out to you, Jesus. Would you help us? Would you show us some encouragement this week if we have been just discouraged and not really receiving any answers to prayer or, or, or something, Lord? Show us that you're real. Let not my heart be so spiritually dry and withered. Show us your glory today. We cannot live without that. It'll be a life of random chance and evolution and monkeys and all that. Lord, show yourself to us this week. And even as we leave here, I pray the Lord will encourage your hearts that indeed that He has this good plan for you to prosper you, not to harm you that whatever you are going through in life, that it will work out for good because you are called according to His purpose. It is not random. It is not by chance. That there is God above who truly loves us and who gave His Son for us. So let encouragement fill all our hearts today as we turn out to Him, as we turn our hearts over to Him. And when he says, stretch out your hand, we would stretch out our hand and receive help in our time of need. So thank you, Lord, for hearing us. Thank you that we can count on you. We believe in Jesus and we are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.